Thank you, Father, for the opportunity of ministry today. Thank you for these people that have gathered in your name. We thank you for the purpose of our gathering. We're not here, O oh Lord, to be showy or to put on a, any kind of a display. We're here, O oh Lord, to have an encounter with you. And I pray that your spirit, your grace, your presence, your glory would fill this temple today and that we would all understand that the presence of God is what makes the difference for the church. We love and appreciate you and praise you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. The temple tabernacle imagery is used in the Old Testament to talk about the presence of God. Most of the time when you talked about the presence of God coming down, it was at the temple or at the tabernacle. God had promised that He would always be present uh, in the temple, in the worship. He would always be present if people would just worship Him and be uh, true in their dedication and discipleship. God said, I, I will not leave you. I will stay with you. I will stand by you. I'll strengthen you. But sadly, the commentary is uh, that Israel was always going off after idol gods. I wish I could tell you that the only time they ever did that was a golden calf, but that was just one instance among many. And uh, the Bible talks about how that prophets were used of God to try to send corrective messages to Israel. Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a great, we call him a major prophet. And Jeremiah was a great prophet that pointed out the inconsistencies and the atrocities of the whole religious system there in Israel. Did you know that Jeremiah never had a convert? Preached all of those years and never had a convert. What he talked about, the reason he probably didn't have converts, that he talked about woe and despair and told the children of Israel that you're going to be carried away into captivity and said you're going to be gone for 70 years and the Chaldeans are coming and they're going to ravage this place and they're going to burn and tear down gates and uh, destroy walls and they're going to do all kinds of terrible things because you don't really respect and love and appreciate the presence of God in your midst. Well, what an indictment Jeremiah had. had. The Bible said that he went and bought a piece of ground. God told him, said, go buy a piece of ground. Why, if you're going off into exile for 70 years, are you buying a piece of ground? And the truth is, God's going to bring you back. God's going to bring you back. In other words, he said, God will not always be angry with us. God will not always chide. God will not always be in this spirit that is in right now. If we'll just uh, realize that there is a renewal that we can have, a revival. And that's what I pray for today in America's churches, a revival, a renewal of the presence of God. For somehow we've developed an Ichabod uh, rotation and uh, mentality. That means the Spirit of the Lord has departed. I told you that a few Sundays ago about how many churches close their doors every day. 
on 278 over when I go in that direction toward Coleman. There's a church on the side of the road, and I can remember going by there and seeing cars and seeing everything. And right now that building is falling in. I, I stopped the other day and I took a picture of it. Should have got one to Adam so we could put it on the screen and show you what a fallen down, abandoned church looks like. Could I tell you that only the grace of God keeps any church from looking just like that? Only the grace of God keeps any church from just being abandoned. And how is it that we don't realize that the thing that matters more than anything else, anything else, is that God's presence is with us. As Moses said, if your presence is not going with us, then don't order us to go up. Don't send us, God, unless you promise that you'll go with us. Because he said, if you don't go with us, then we won't be successful. And if you don't go with us, the enemies will defeat us in battle. If you don't go with us, the task is too great and we'll, we'll never succeed except your presence, your spirit, your power goes with us. Oh, that we would develop that attitude today and say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So in the Old Testament, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the buildings that were destroyed and putting the, the walls back up and repairing the gates and all the things that went on during the time of Ezra and, and Hosea and uh, the different prophets that prophesied during that period until the, the temple was uh, rebuilt and the walls were repaired and the gates were repaired. And again, they experienced something from God. You know what happened? They discovered over in the rubble of the temple, Josiah had them to search and see, and they dug up the Word of God. Man, they'd lost the Word of God. Went to the temple, but there was no Word of God. And they found it, Brother Mark, tucked under all the rubble and stuff to where that it wasn't found and wasn't seen. Boy, God, don't ever let that come in Pentecostal churches where the Word can't be found, where the Word is hid somewhere uh, and it has a defeated thing about it that you can't find it. It's no good to anybody. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people that deny the presence of God right now. I fought a big battle, you know, uh, telling people that it's His presence, it's His Spirit. It's not the tangible things, it's not the physical things, it's that imagery of, of temple and tabernacle. And when we carry that, that through the intertestamental period where God did not speak to Israel during that 400 years of silence, Yes, they went on, you know, with many of the rituals and many of the celebrations, many of the feast days, but they didn't have the presence. God had not spoken. God had not had an encounter. God had not had a, a fellowship of any appreciable, appreciable matter. It was just a form of godliness. And the Bible said that's bad. 
It's bad when we just go through the motions. It's bad when we just have no zeal, no enthusiasm at all. We've got to realize that, and I'll prove it to you in this message before I close, that the whole deal about reaching lost people for God is about presence. The one thing that makes the local church effective in doing its mission is presence. The only right we have to claim to being a local church is that if God's presence, if God's presence is real in our midst, if God's presence takes priority above every other thing, if God's presence is our highest achievement, if God's presence is the thing for which we all strive, it's the one thing that makes all the difference in the world. And when God had been silent for all of those years and all of that religious decline had happened and paganism and idolatry was abounding everywhere, God appeared back on the scene, but it wasn't in a temple and it wasn't in a tabernacle and it wasn't the way everybody expected it to be. John, whose gospel is not one of the synoptics. The synoptics is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, because his whole approach is different, he intends to talk to you about being the people of God and having the presence of God in your midst. That's his whole deal. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh. We dwelt among him and beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And that memorable day when this long, lean Galilean came walking on the shores of Jordan, and there was one who the Bible said was Elijah-like. He wore a, a leathern uh, girdle, as it were, and he baptized unto repentance people that would uh, come uh, for him to baptize them. And the Bible tells us that when he was in the water and was baptizing, that that wonderful Savior came walking down the banks. And when John saw him, he said to him, the people said, Behold the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb. Behold the sacrifice. Behold the life. Behold the offering. Behold God's grace. Behold God's love. Behold God at work. John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But one is coming after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What is he talking about? He's talking about renewal. He's talking about what we let die, resurrected, and brought back to life again. He's talking about what man left behind, God brought back. What was lost in Adam was regained in Christ, recapitulated. And that whole notion that the renewal is about God revisiting his people. Wow. 
I just feel like God wants to do a revisit. Revisit. Those of you sitting here today, many of you know what that word revisit means. If we were to talk about something that maybe it didn't happen real good, we'd say, maybe we need to revisit that. Maybe we need to rethink that. Maybe we need to revisit that notion. Revisit means to bring back to life, to resurrect something that has deteriorated, corrupted, or died, or destroyed. We'll deal with those in just a minute when we talk further about the local church. But let me read what Jesus said in John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, if you love me, Come to church on time and pay your tithe and give your offerings and be good to your children. No, that's not the way it reads. If you love me, keep my commandments. What is he saying? He's saying don't display love in any other way but by obedience and submission to the will of God. Don't accept something less. Don't allow yourself to participate in something less. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. I will pray the Father, and he shall give. I love the way Jesus prays, don't you? I will pray, and he shall He didn't say perhaps he will. He didn't say it might be. He said, I will pray and he shall. Brother, if you could pray with the faith of Jesus, if you could believe God with the faith of Jesus, if you could expect from God like Jesus expected from God, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter. That lets us know the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the word, as I said last uh, Sunday, is parakletos. It literally means one who comes alongside of. Isn't it great to know there's someone walking with you? I have somebody with me. I have somebody with me to share my heavy load. I feel his presence near me every day. Though others would be lonely when all their friends are gone, I have somebody with me all the way. Have you got that divine somebody with you? That one who comes alongside you to walk the walk with you and help you keep the commandments? If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall send you another comforter, not a secondary replacement God or a substitutionary God, but a very real God in the person of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. I will pray the Father, and he will send you the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knowest him. But you know him. Anybody know him? But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. 
Praise God. So using this tabernacle and temple imagery, we see that God wants to dwell in a place where he is worshipped as Lord. In the Old Testament, that was a, a building. But as Paul stood in Athens at Mars Hill, he said, as I came down this way to Mars Hill, he said, I passed a lot of temples to pagan gods. And said, I even passed one pagan god's temple that said, to the unknown god. You have so many temples up, you I was afraid you might have forgotten one, and you put one up to an unknown one that you have not yet realized. I don't want a God that I've not yet realized, do you? I don't want an unknown God. I, I want to know the God who is Lord of all, who is God of everything, creator God, sovereign God, almighty God. Hallelujah. And Paul said this, Know ye not that God dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshiped with men's hands as if he needed anything. Oh, praise God. Our God is a God who is worshiped not as pagans worship, but he is a God who is worshiped when we lift up holy hands unto him, when we clap our hands unto the glory of our God when we sing spiritual songs and make melody in our heart unto the Lord, that's sincere worship, and that's Him dwelling with us and dwelling in us. So then God wants a new covenant. The old covenant just didn't work. It was a temporary thing, and it was an interim thing. It was never intended that that would be the permanent covenant that God would have with us. But God said, I, I want to have a new relationship with you, and I want to have a new covenant with you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 through 20. For by one offering, who was that offering? Jesus. Who was that offering on Calvary's cross, that sacrificial lamb that was placed upon the altar? It was the Lord Jesus. By one offering, he hath perfected, that means made complete, forever them that are sanctified. Now, brother, there's a strange word, isn't it? Sanctified. Boy, that's one that's in our history, but it's not too much in our, our present-day vernacular. Sanctified. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Woo. Did you know that the entire Corinthian letter was written, if you'll read verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified and are called to be saints. Saints. My dad used to call people in the church saints. Well, you either are or you ain't. You're either a saint or you ain't. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, Brother John, sanctified and are called, called 
to be somebody, to be a saint of God. Look at verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness unto us. Whew. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. What are we saying? We're saying that God, who took his finger and wrote the law on the tablets of stone, is saying, now, then this new covenant, I'm going to write those, that law upon your heart and upon your mind. I'm going to take what was outside you that you had to read from a placard and I'm going to put it on the inside of you so that it can empower you and can... Wow, you're not hearing me. You mean God's going to put something inside me that's going to help me keep His commandments? You mean God is going to give me something in my heart and in my mind that will help me walk right, live right, and worship right? Hallelujah. This is the new covenant that I make with you. Those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will put my laws. In other words, God is saying, what has been written on stone, I'm now going to write on flesh. Ezekiel 36 and 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. New. Somebody say new. A new heart. Anybody like to trade your heart off for a new one? A new heart. A new heart. What was David's prayer? Lord, create within me a clean heart. And put within me a right spirit. God's saying, I'm going to take that old stony heart out of, your, out of your experience with me, your walk with me, my presence with you, and your encounter with me. I'm going to take away the stony part of that, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh in that. Look, a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, the Corinthians are understood to have received that new covenant, which meant that they were inscribed by the Holy Spirit of the living God on tablets of human hearts. Paul said, I'm a minister of this. I'm a, a preacher. I'm an evangelist. But the Holy Spirit is the witness to all of this. That the new covenant is sealed with the signet of the Spirit. That the Spirit gives veracity and truth to this new covenant of God. What is God saying? He's saying you don't have to take a bull and you don't have to take a sheep and you don't have to take a goat and offer its blood for the remission of sin. There's going to be one offering. There's going to be one sacrifice. There's going to be one, one final for all time sacrifice. And the Bible said that was Jesus. But this man 
hath once given himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Praise God. God is saying you don't have to come in and offer uh, another sacrifice. You don't have to go and take a lamb, goat, bull, or heifer. He said, Jesus has become the sacrifice for you. And the Holy Spirit said, Amen. Jesus has won for you righteousness and liberty and freedom. And the Holy Spirit said, Amen. And God said, I have prepared for you a home in heaven, an eternal inheritance. I have prepared for you eternal life where you'll live in, in blessed uh, peace and blessed rest forevermore. And the Holy Spirit said, Amen. The Holy Spirit beareth witness unto us that what God promised, he will do. The Holy Spirit is saying to us, I'm a witness. Let me second the motion. Let me make this a truth worth believing that whatever God says to you about freedom and love and forgiveness of sin and washed in the blood and a home in heaven, I just want to say amen and I'll put my John Hancock on that and let you know I'm a witness to that. Hallelujah! A new spirit and a new heart. Can you put 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6 up there? These Corinthians, and I wish I could tell you that these Corinthians had their act together. But they didn't. You know what they had? They had preacher religion really bad. What do you mean preacher religion? They thought that only one person had the message. And the Bible said that some of them said, I am a Paul. I believe in Paul's preaching and Paul's gospel. And another said, well, I'm more given to, to Peter. I love Peter's theology. I like the way he explains things. And he's my favorite. Another said, well, I, I really don't like these Johnny-come-latelys. I, I like those Old Testament prophets better than anyone myself. And another one said, well, I'll tell you what, I just love Jesus. I don't care about the rest of you. I'm just going to take Jesus. And Paul wrote to them, and he said, who is Paul? Or who is Apollos? Or who is Peter? Who is Cephas? He said, one comes and plants the seed. Another comes and waters it, but God gives the increase. What he was saying to them, you have tried to make some ministry out of fleshly endeavor, and you've tried to make persons and people deity and make them lords, when that's not really true at all. The truth is there is one Lord, one God, one baptism, the truth is there is one God who calls men and women to do the ministry of spreading the Word of God. And wherever you spread the Word of God, the presence of God goes with that because there's anointing. I said there's anointing that goes with the preaching of the 
cross of Jesus. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, of letters of commendation from you? What he's saying is we're going to reduce this thing down to what we preach and how we do. This is the way we do church. And Paul's about to skin him for that. Read the next verse. Verse 2, please. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. What? Me? An epistle? Is that not what it says? Ye are our epistle. Now what is an epistle? Letter. You remember the epistle to the Romans, the epistle to the Ephesians, the epistle to the Corinthians. It's a letter. All of that scripture is actually a letter. What he's saying is, ye are our letter that is written in our hearts and yours, known and read of all men. You mean the people that I work with are reading my mail? You mean my children, my grandchildren, my cousins, my uncles, my aunt, grandpa, grandma, they read my letter? Let your life be a light Shining out through the night May I help struggling souls to the fold Spreading cheer, boy, I sure need some of that this morning. Spreading cheer everywhere to the sad and the lone. Let my life be a light to some soul. We're living epistles that are read daily by all men. What does your epistle say? How does your epistle read? How does your letter read? How does it go? Quite a thought, isn't it? Third verse. You're our epistle. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. So, number one, your epistle ought to be about Jesus. Do people around you see Jesus? The people you work with, when they look at you, see Jesus. The neighbors in your neighborhood, when they talk to you, do they see Jesus? The epistle of Christ ministered by us. When we preach, we want to preach to you as an effort for God to say to you, I love you. Manifested by us, written not with ink, but with the Holy Spirit. You mean the Holy Ghost is writing on me? Yeah, and it's not a tattoo either. Where's he writing it, Pastor? He's writing it in your heart. Writing in your heart. The epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Holy Spirit of the living God. 
not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Well, somebody ought to be in now that God has done something so supernatural that God has written the Holy Spirit, the epistle of Christ, has been a letter written to you and the Spirit of God has written it on your heart. Well, doesn't the Word of God say something about God looketh not upon the outward appearance. God looks upon your heart. If God looks at my heart, he needs to find written by the Holy Spirit of God the epistle of Christ. Go to verse 4. I'm liking this, are you? And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Don't get to thinking you can have church without Him. Don't get to thinking you can do all this in your own strength and with your own ingenuity and your own mind and your own intelligence. Don't get put your form together. But you also can't do it without Him. He said, don't think that you can be so self-sufficient of yourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Harvest, if you try to do anything in your name, it won't make it out the door. If you try to do something through your structure or through your institutionalism or you try to do it with your programs or you try to do it with your organization, then God won't bless that. What God blesses is when you realize my sufficiency is from God. Right there, look at that bottom line. But our sufficiency is of God. That means apart from me, you can do nothing. That means without the Holy Spirit's anointing and leadership and direction, then you're futile in all of your efforts in church, family, business, whatever. Whatever you're doing, make sure that the sufficiency is of God. No wonder Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Or you are who you are by the grace of God? Are you who you are because the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God has been realized in your heart? So when we say that the presence dwells with us, what we're saying is God has written on our heart. He also tells us that there is a circumcision of the heart. It means a cutting away, a cutting away. If the Holy Spirit is in your life and your sufficiency is in God, then the Holy Spirit cuts away the things in your life that are unchristlike, things that are unchristian, things that are ungodly. The Holy Spirit is trying his best to trim all that away, cut that away. Why? Because he's mad at me? No, because he loves you. I said, because he loves you. 
And he wants you to be all that you can be for God. And he wants the church to be as good as it can be to the community here. He wants you to be successful in this circumcision of the heart and this riding upon our heart that our sufficiency is of God. He said, not only will I put another heart in you, but he said, I will put a new spirit in you. A new spirit. Ezekiel 36 and 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Wow, does that sound like living right? Walk in my statutes and do them? Why? He said, because I have put my spirit in you. You see, you don't have the Holy Spirit just to make you run aisles and shout and do all those things. You got the Holy Spirit to do something far greater than, than that. I love rejoicing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm chief shouter around here. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is in your life for a different reason than just to make you shout and rejoice. Grab your seatbelt. He's in your life to do more than just make you happy. Because sometimes when he cuts away, it hurts and it's painful. But it's something that needs to be done because the Holy Spirit is present to cause you to walk in my statutes. The Holy Spirit is within you, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So it's right to pray, Holy Spirit, help me do the will of God. Holy Spirit, help me be the person God wants me to be. Holy Spirit, have full sway in my heart and full sway in my life so that I can do all God would have me to do and be what God would have me to be. And he said that new heart will help that happen. This is the new spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of God, who will assist and enable God's people to keep his commandments and do his will. And look at verse 17. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Hmm. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Hebrews 10, 17. Look at verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 20. By a new and living way. Sounds to me like God's doing some revisiting, isn't he? Sounds to me like God is doing some reviving and some renewal. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. Through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Brother, when that veil is rent from top to bottom, it was rent from top to bottom by our God so that you could come boldly, boldly. Are you seeing that in that scripture? Having therefore boldness to enter into the temple of God. Come on, Olivia, let's try to land this plane. They think I'm fog, fogged out, but I see the runway. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, our sufficiency of God, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit give life. See, when, when you only preach the things and the Word of God, that are things concerning correction and that kind of thing, the letter killeth. Brother, when you want to get down in some of those hard sayings of Jesus, that if a brother asks you for a coat, give him your cloak also. If a brother asks you to go one mile, go two. How many times shall we forgive? Seven times 70, 49? No, infinite. As many times as he has. Those are hard sayings. And if you just preach the hard sayings, then the letter of the law kills our spirit. But when my heart is overwhelmed, and when my spirit is convicted, when my spirit is contrite before the Lord, then the Spirit of God comes, that rider on my heart, that aid in helping me to walk right and live right, comes alongside me, picks me up, gets me going, broadens my shoulders, straightens my back, which is quite a chore. Get my steps going, because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. Sometimes when you read the letter of the law, brother, when you put the Bible down, you say, oh boy, that stung. That was tough. That's called conviction. And Paul says to these same Corinthians, if you claim to be a child of God, but you've never been convicted, said you might ought to check that's an illegitimate son. Because whom the Father loves... He chasteneth, despise not the chastening, therefore, of the Lord. God's Spirit, these three steps, a new heart, a new spirit, and then God's Spirit. That Spirit gives life. One more and I'll close. The second use of that imagery of temple and tabernacle is seen in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will walk in them, and I will dwell in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will walk in them, and I will dwell in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Lord, somebody ought to be on your feet saying, Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What agreement hath the temple? A temple? That's in the Old Testament. He said, No, that's in the New Testament too. Do you know who the temple of God is in Anniston and Oxford, Alabama? You want to know? Well, it's not Harvest Church of God. It's not Golden Springs Baptist. It's not St. Mark's Methodist. What is the temple? The people of God are the temple. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God. Wow. The temple of the living God in Anniston, Alabama is all born-again believers. All people that name the name of Jesus. All people that know the Lord Jesus and the free pardon of the sin that's in their lives. Every one of them are the temple of the living God in Anniston. Now, Paul uses that term, that kind of language, four different times. Three times he's talking about the church being the temple. One time he's talking about you being the temple. Now to the Corinthians, he said to them, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God? You are the temple of God in Corinth. That's that strong imagery, isn't it? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God said, I'll dwell in them, walk in them, be their God. They'll be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. God's people are a called out group. The things that make God's people happy aren't necessarily the things that make the worldling happy. The things that makes you have hope is not necessarily the things that makes the world have hope. The things that encourage you are not necessarily what encourages the unconverted, unregenerate. The difference that is made there in the church. And I'm wondering sometimes now if we're making enough difference to make it matter. Does the world even know we're here? Are we making enough of a difference that our testimony and our witness, you know what they used to say about the church of God? They'd say, let's go down there to that church where they all preach. What happened, Randy? They'd come on a Wednesday night when we used to have prayer meeting. And for about an hour, an hour and a half, Peggy remembers that, somebody'd get up and they'd testify. Some of them a lot longer than others would testify. Boy, when I was, I was a kid, if old brother Jack Carter got up, you might as well get ready, honey. It's going to be 30 minutes at least. 
telling about how they got saved. There was an old fellow at Brother Fincher's church. We had testimony meeting one night, and they were all testifying about how bad they were when the Lord saved them. And brother, told him, I was just, I was a sorry old drunkard. I was a sorry husband. I was mean to my wife. I wasn't a good father to my kids. I wasn't worth killing. And everybody got up was talking like, like that. They were saying, well, I'll tell you how bad I was when God saved me. I, I, I'd been in jail and I'd done this. And everybody was just talking about how bad they'd been. And there's an old fella sitting on the front row and he threw his hands up there and said, Woo! said, I'm just an old coon hunter myself. <laughs> Sometimes you just get to thinking about those testimonies. Let's go down there where they all preach. Brother, we, we just couldn't get enough of church. Now we do good to get it one, one hour a week. We used to have it on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. Yeah. That was what made people happy back in those days. I would, I would go to preach revivals, Bobby, and when I would get there at some of those old country churches, those people would be out at the homecoming tables praying for God to give us a good service that night. Many times when I'd drive up in North Birmingham to preach a revival at that church, they'd be back in the Sunday school room. You could hear them all over the auditorium praying, Oh God, they weren't quiet about it. Oh God, Lord, give us a great service tonight. Pour your Spirit out upon us, God. Let the glory of the Lord come down in our midst tonight, God. Save some soul tonight, God. Just couldn't get enough of it. When I first came to harvest, I uh, went through the basement most of the time and came up the stairs into the foyer. And I was walking along the path that I had memorized in the dark. I didn't turn the light on. I knew how many steps it was to get to that. You didn't know that about me, did you? And going through a, one of those dark hallways, all of a sudden a guy went, Yow! Scared me to death. Faye's nodding at me. She knows Ben. And he would he would, had the most blood-curdling scream. And it would be quiet. He wouldn't even be, be praying. He wouldn't be saying nothing. And I tripped over him one night. And he went, Wow! And I am come pretty close to not being able to preach that night. We used to just couldn't get enough of it, could we? Hey, we'd have church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and have a singing on Saturday night. Sometimes come back on Sunday afternoon for a special service. Just loved being in the presence. I guess you could just call us people of the presence. We just love that presence. God said, I'll dwell in you. I'll walk in you. Paul said this, now therefore ye are no more strangers, Ephesians 2, and foreigners, but now you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, 
and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Did you notice that connection there between Old Testament and New? He said the foundation is from the prophets and the apostles. Well, we know prophets are Old Testament. Apostles are New Testament. So the same glory that came down when the prophets prophesied is the same spirit that comes down when the apostles preach Jesus. What's God doing? Revisiting. Revisiting. Somewhere he'd been before, he revisits. Oh, I, I'm preaching this because I want us to have a revisit. I, I want that do it again, God. I want that Shekinah, that glory, that cloud, that pillar, that presence that makes the difference. Peg and Joel and I were talking a little bit before church about Brother Laird, his grandfather. What a great spirit he had. I believe he told me that it was in Memphis that he went to his first general assembly. This is one of his many stories that he told me. He said, Brother Jerry said, I was the first general assembly I'd ever been to. And said, boy, the glory of the Lord fell in that place and people was rejoicing and shouting. And said, I looked up in the balcony and said there was a man shouting and said he was real close to coming over that ledge there and falling about 20, 25 feet. And he said, I sat there, Lord, it'll kill him if he falls over that rail. He said he had his eyes shut and said he had his hands up in the air and said somehow he'd come off that ledge and said, I went, and said, Brother Jerry, he hit the ground, never missed a step. So the last time I saw that guy, he went out the back of that auditorium with his coattail sticking straight out. <laughs> Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love. Stand with me, please. I hope I've created a hunger in your heart. And I hope the Holy Spirit has done something for you today that will cause you to say, well, that's, that's right, Pastor, that's right. I need more of the Holy Ghost in my life. If He will do all those things you've put on that screen up there, even help me live right. Help me make good choices. Help me right, make right decisions. If He'll do that in my life, that I need somebody in my life that'll help me. Good news. The promise is unto you, unto your children's children, unto them that are afar off, as many as the Lord thy God shall call. I want you to have that blessed presence in your life. I want Him to dwell in you. I want Him to dwell in this church. I want Him to be so powerfully present in this church that when people walk in the door, 
I remember over at Brighton Avenue one Sunday morning, Mark, I saw a strange face in the congregation. I made it back to her after the service was over, and uh, she said, Pastor, I was just driving down McClellan, and I was just saying, God, where do you want me to go to church? God, there's bound to be a church somewhere that I can, I can fit in and feel your presence. And said the Holy Ghost said, turn left. And said, I came up that hill and pulled in this parking lot and said, God brought me in this church and said, He told me the truth. I felt the Lord when I came in. I don't want anybody to come to harvest and leave without saying, I felt the Lord. I felt the Lord. I felt the Lord. Savior, I praise You and thank You today for all that You do for us. Thank You for the wonderful way for a hundred years this church has served You and loved You. The many, many stories that we can tell about the glory of the Lord and the power of God. Great revivals where hundreds were saved. Great healings and great miraculous things. Lord, they're all a part of our history. But God... We want them to be part of our present. We want people to know the Lord in the fullness of the Spirit. We want them to know the Gospel, to know the good news of salvation. I ask You, God, to touch them from this day forward. We would go forth walking in the power of the Spirit and come expecting God to do extraordinary things. We bless You and we praise You in dismissal. Amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer. We love and appreciate you so very much.